Hello, it's February 5th, 2023. My name is Simone, and this is a special edition of 90s Crime Time. Hello and welcome to this special edition episode of 90s Crime Time. And uh, why is it a special edition, if you're asking? Well, if you follow on 90s Crime Time's Instagram page, I put a poll up weeks ago asking the followers if they would be interested in many episodes um, from 90s Crime Time, and the majority said yes. And I also figured having mini-sodes for 90s Crime Time would be pretty cool so you can get more uh, 90s Crime content while you wait for the every other week longer episodes. So here we are. Again, I don't necessarily do 90s Crime Time for entertainment purposes. I just like to spread the word about 90s cases you may not have heard about um, before. Excuse me from shaking voice. <laughs> but um, yeah, here we are. Uh, this is the first mini-sode, I believe, of 90s Crime Time. Well, I know, like, official mini-episode of 90s Crime Time. So let's dive in to the premiere of the first 90s Crime Time mini-sode. The year was 1996. And in Toledo, Ohio, back then, the city was considered a major port and manufacturing city and had a population of around 330,000 people. And due to the city's relatively sizable population, there were plenty of things to do, such as flock to the malls here or checking out a local hockey game at Toledo's once popular sports arena. Even though there was plenty to do in Toledo at that time, some things about the city weren't so pretty. That's because many of the major companies that once resided in Toledo left, which caused jobs to be lost and crimes to be committed. During the 90s, Toledo saw a peak of crime hit their city, mostly drugs and a few homicide cases. But one particular homicide case in 1996 shook Toledo and Ohio as a whole. It was so bad and gruesome that it would lead people to ask, how did it get to this point? In the following case, you'll find out what the crime was, the investigation, and the aftermath in a case I title, Broken. In 1996, in Toledo, Ohio, lived a church-going couple named Charles and Jeanette Johnson. Mr. Johnson was a pastor, and his wife Jeanette was a homemaker. They liked to have fun as well, like playing cards or watching TV. 
What was unique about the Johnsons was that, although they didn't have children of their own, they were known to take in many foster children over the years and minister to them and help them throughout their lives. The year before, in December 1995, the couple were inquired by social services about a teenage young man named Johnny Jordan, who was around 14 to 15 years old. And they were asked if they wanted to take him in. According to reports, the Johnsons were told that Johnny had previous problems with foster families in the past, but they allegedly didn't elaborate what those problems were to the Johnsons when they were approached about Johnny living with them. Mrs. Johnson was elated to take in another young foster care child, but when Johnny arrived to their home, Mr. Johnson wasn't too sure about him. According to reports, Mr. Johnson thought Johnny's demeanor was off. The Johnsons let Johnny stay anyway. However, Mr. Johnson's intuition was right about Johnny, because when either he or Mrs. Johnson requested for Johnny to do anything, like chores or sit for dinner, he would talk back and apparently have a bad attitude. And over the course of the next few days, Johnny lived with the Johnsons. He would allegedly act out and protest anything that had to do with authority. Mr. Johnson seemed to not handle him too well, but Mrs. Johnson wanted to so badly work with him. But who exactly was Johnny Jordan? Well, according to reports, his story begins in the early 80s when he was born to Johnny Jordan Sr. and his wife Marilyn. Johnny Sr. and Marilyn eventually had seven children together, including Johnny Jr., but reports state that the children were anything but in a loving home. You see, Johnny and Marilyn were heavily addicted to drugs and frequently chose drugs over their own children, meaning money that was supposed to care for their children went to the drugs, which led Johnny Jr. and his siblings to be underfed, and since the bills were allegedly not paid in their home, Johnny Sr., Marilyn, and the children had no utilities to care for themselves. Another report states that Johnny Jr.'s parents would frequently leave he and his siblings alone to binge on drugs, which left the children to fend for themselves and find food on their own. The children were sickly and hungry a lot, and they would steal sometimes to get scraps of food. Even worse, due to no utilities in the home, the children weren't able to bathe much, which meant that when the children would go to school, they would many times smell, making them targets of teasing by their classmates. Eventually, social services was called on Johnny and his siblings, and according to one report, it stated, quote, On repeated visits to the Jordan home, caseworkers found seven children sleeping on two-floor mattresses amid rotting food and cigarette butts. There is no baby formula in the apartment. The mother, Marilyn, is in the habit of feeding her infants sugar water or pre-chewed table scraps. At a local hospital, doctors found scars from whippings and evidence of sexual abuse. A neighbor tells investigators that the Jordans sold their children in exchange for drugs. End quote. Due to this, Child Protective Services took the children away, splitting them into various foster homes. 
but Johnny Sr. and Marilyn were still able to obtain scheduled visits to see their children and told them they were working to get them back. However, as the months and years went by, the children were not back in their care, only to more foster homes. Johnny Sr. and Marilyn eventually were sentenced to lengthy prison terms due to the fact that Johnny Sr. was found guilty of raping kids and Marilyn guilty for allowing it. But it's unclear if his victims were his own children. After the convictions, it was now impossible for Johnny to live with his parents. And due to this, over time, he began to build anger. He was tired of being bounced around from different homes. He was angry he couldn't live with his parents and bothered that none of his foster families would adopt him. In response, Johnny would frequently run away from his foster homes. And one time, he was so angry about something, he punched a city bus driver. And because he was a young teen by this point, Johnny was sentenced to 10 months in a juvenile detention center. Like previously mentioned, Mrs. Johnson wanted badly to help Johnny, and her approach was one of being stern and loving at the same time. For example, she made Johnny go to church, but for the first time in his life, she bought Johnny a suit to attend church with. She also played cards with him and did a lot of other fun activities with him, and over time, Johnny took a liking to her and thought Mrs. Johnson was nice. However, by January 1996, something came over Johnny. Although he was comfortable with the Johnsons now, he was still bitter about his past. Even worse, according to reports, he grew tired of the Johnsons giving him rules. After all, they weren't his parents in his mind. And then, according to another report, when Johnny was denied by the Johnsons to take in a stray dog, he snapped and grew angry at them. Even angrier that the Johnsons apparently called animal control to take the dog away. Then the worst came for Johnny again when he allegedly overheard the Johnsons talking about removing him from their home. And by this point, Johnny had reached his boiling point. On January 29, 1996, Johnny went to a store boiling with rage. When he got back to the Johnsons' home, he saw Mrs. Johnson washing dishes. He walked up behind her then retreated, and then walked up to her again, and then did the unthinkable. With the hatchet in his hand, Johnny struck Mrs. Johnson. She fell backwards, looked at him, and Johnny struck her again and again until she no longer moved. Then he took some kerosene, lit a match, and lit Mrs. Johnson on fire. After the flames were set, Johnny stole $12 from her purse and fled the scene. When Mr. Johnson came home that night, he found his dear wife's body smoldering on the kitchen floor. He called 911, 
but they unfortunately confirmed that Mrs. Johnson, age 62, was dead. When questioned about who could have done this to his wife, Mr. Johnson didn't hesitate and told police it wouldn't have been anyone else but Johnny Jordan. With this, police wasted no time searching for Johnny, and after several hours, they found Johnny walking along a street and brought him in for questioning. While he was being questioned, Johnny admitted to killing Mrs. Johnson, but told the police he needed help. After his confession, Johnny was arrested for murder. Months later, in April 1996, the court certified that Johnny would be tried as an adult for his crimes. On May 7, 1996, Johnny was indicted on three counts, aggravated murder, robbery, and arson. But surprisingly, Johnny pled not guilty to all counts. However, in October 1996, Johnny was found guilty of all counts and sentenced to 40 years to life for his crimes. After Johnny was sentenced, Mr. Johnson filed a lawsuit against the Lucas County Children's Services because he alleged that the program did not tell him or Mrs. Johnson about Johnny's criminal record or his other issues in the past, just that he was troubled. In response, the agency hired a new director and settled with Mr. Johnson, awarding him $490,000. Also, a state law was passed that gives foster parents better access to information about violent children they take in. And just 11 months after she was murdered, Mr. Johnson passed away. Ten years after he was sentenced to prison, Johnny stated in an interview that he was remorseful about what he had done, and he wasn't actually upset with Mrs. Johnson. He was just, quote, lashing out at a world that didn't want him, end quote. The story of the tragic murder of Mrs. Jeanette Johnson comes from the sources of the Toledo Blade, the Washington Post, the Associated Press, and others I'll put in the notes. Well, that was an intense case, I believe. And um, instead of dropping an opinion piece for this small episode, I would like to know what you all think. Um, Well, I will say one quick thing. I do believe a lot of children in the foster care system are overlooked and um, are failed. Now, I'm not blaming social workers for that. A lot of social workers, I do believe, are to blame. I have seen cases where a lot of social workers are negligent. And I know a lot of social workers, I aspire to be one one day, um, are overworked. But I do think some social workers simply don't care about the children and simply would not check. Social workers out there don't come for me, but this is my opinion. In my observation, I have met some people who have lived through the foster care system, and a lot of them have said, well, some of them, I won't say all, a lot of them, but some of them have said it is kind of bad for them because they feel they are unheard or they're not seen. And uh, like I mentioned, um, they do believe that a lot of social workers are overlooked, but um, they do believe a lot of social workers don't care as well. I'm not saying that was the case in Johnny's case, um, but um, I, I, I don't. What he did to Mrs. Johnson was horrible, and I don't think he should be out of prison for that for a long time. But I do feel for him at the same way, same time, because he was failed by his parents, and I think he was failed by the system. 
Um, yeah, I don't think he was placed in the right foster care home um, in the beginning. He probably was okay with the Johnsons, but by that point, he was so fil- filled with rage and anger and hurt that it just came out in one big blow. And unfortunately, Miss Johnson was um, at the end of his rage and she lost her life. And um, yeah, I want to know what you all think of this case. If you follow 90s Crime Time on Facebook or Instagram, I'll have this case posted so you can talk about it much yourselves and maybe talk about it amongst other 90s Crime Time followers. And um, yeah, that's it. Thank you for tuning in again uh, for tuning in. And later this upcoming week, I will have another mini-sode released, followed by the next week we'll have a full-fledged episode. And um, I hope you like the mini-sodes I put out, and if you don't, you can tell me in the comments as well. I love your feedback, as long as it's nice and just critical, not too mean and ridiculous. Um, But yeah, thank you for tuning in, and I will see you later this week for another mini-sode of 90s Crime Time.